Well, good morning again to everybody down here in the chapel, in the well. Good morning uh, to everybody up in the well cafe, up in the loft. Uh, my name is Pastor Johnny, and I am so glad to be here with you today in worship. It's been a beautiful morning of worship all over the place on our campus. Uh, and this being the first Sunday where I get to uh, serve as your preaching pastor here at the well and up in the well cafe. And so I'm just very excited to be here this morning. Uh, I can't wait to share with you next week a little bit about uh, me. I know I know many of you. Uh, I've seen you all before, but a little bit about uh, why I do what I do, uh, why I love to preach, why um, I have felt this call to be a pastor, and, and what I, I think that means for me and for us as the church. Can't wait to share that a little bit with that a little bit about that with you, but we got no time for that today because we got a lot of stuff to do, a lot of ground to cover. So uh, if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at verse 13 through 35. If you're down here in the well and you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the, under the seats in front of you. They're blue. Uh, up in the well cafe, we have a, a, a shelf in the back with Bibles available there. Uh, and you're going to see the, uh, the scripture reference on the screens and a page number. Uh, I believe it's uh, 1644 or something along those lines uh, where we're going to be. Now, we're going to get in it today, y'all. So have your Bible ready. Have it open. We're going to be all over it. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be flipping back and forth. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff. But before we get there, I just want to celebrate a few things with us all together here uh, real quick because there's a lot of exciting things happening in the life of our church. Uh, I've told you a little bit about uh, downstairs. I've told you a little bit about confirmation service that's happening upstairs. If you haven't heard yet, uh, you've seen the parking lot. I know for sure uh, that they, we have 83 confirmands being confirmed over there. It's an exciting thing that's happening in the, in the life of uh, these kids and their family as they confirm their faith in Jesus and dedicate their life to following him. We also have coming up next week a new series that I am so excited about. I know you are as well called Declutter, where we're really going to look at our cluttered and chaotic world, our cluttered and chaotic lives, and what that says not only uh, about our lives, but maybe a peek into our disordered souls as well and see what scripture has to say about those things. So I know many of you are looking forward to that. Uh, can't wait to share that new message series with you. But the thing I really want to celebrate uh, and I know upstairs y'all do a lot of clapping, we do a lot of clapping down here, and I hope your hands uh, got a, a little more clapping left in them, because we're going to celebrate something real quick. Last weekend was Easter, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, <laughs> it, it was Easter, and we had, at First Methodist Mansfield, our biggest Easter ever this past weekend. That's big. Clap, go ahead and clap now, but you're going to want to clap again in a minute. Because if you, if you look at our Holy Week, if you look at our Holy Thursday service, Good Friday, and our Easter services, we had over 6,200 people come and worship with us at First Methodist Mansfield. And now you can clap. That's amazing. That's amazing because 6,000 people gathered to hear this good news of Jesus Christ, that he's risen from the dead and that hope is alive, journeyed with us through the Last Supper, through the cross, and then the celebration of the resurrection. What an amazing thing. And I don't say that number so we can pat ourselves on the back and like, oh, goody, look at all these people that came to our church. What I say is, when I say that, I, I, I want you to know that we don't just look at numbers as, as a way to measure how great we're doing as a staff or, or as pastors. Uh, we don't see it that way at all. Because every single person, every single number that we count 
It's a very real person. They have a name. They have a story. They have a background. They come with their own hopes and their own fears. And they came, 6,000 people came to hear that message of faith. Something that's been so transformative in our lives. People came to hear it. And and many came for the very first time. That's a testament not only to the hard work that that our staff and and many volunteers, many of you volunteered, did uh, to make that event happen. Our our incredible bands and and orchestra and choirs and our music leaders. Some incredible painter. I don't know who that guy was, but... (laughs) (laughs) Up in the Well Cafe, if you don't know Doug Peak, he helps lead worship down here in the well, and he was the, the secret guy painting in the background uh, at Easter if you came to any of our CPA services. Uh, the, the staff over at the CPA, but this is a real testament to you as a church that, that reached out, invited your neighbors, invited your friends and your family, that you knew there was something that was happening in you, a way that this story of hope transformed your life, and you knew that it wasn't just about you. It wasn't just about what Christ has done for you, but what Christ has done for this world. And you went out and shared it, and you brought people in, and they celebrated with us. Here's another stat I want to give you that might, might help put this in perspective, too. If you look at just our Easter services, right, we had Saturday night uh, at the CPA. We had a sunrise service at 7 a.m. for all the crazy people uh, that came. I think they just want to be first on Easter. Like, they want to be the first ones to celebrate resurrection, right? Uh, we had 8.15 here in our sanctuary. And then we had a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock over at the CPA uh, as well. If you look at just those services, let's not count Thursday and Friday. Just look at our Easter services. Last Easter, we had our biggest Easter to date. This Easter was even bigger. We had over 1,150 more people come to our Easter services this year than last year. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. It's an amazing thing. I love, I mean, I leave Easter and people are like, oh, have you recovered yet? Are you so tired? I'm like, no way, man. I'm so energized by Easter. Sure, it was hard work, you know, and there was a lot to do. But I get so energized by things like Easter and this confirmation service that we're having right now. These are, these are mountaintop experiences. These are moments where God does big things in us and all around us. And I know many of you felt that as well. You came to Easter and you felt something stir in you that might not have been stirring for a long time. You feel your heart warmed. You, you maybe learned something new. You saw God. You saw grace. You saw love in a way that you hadn't seen in a very long time. Something moved in you. These are mountaintop experiences. I know these kids experienced that. They went to a confirmation retreat this weekend. And as they've been learning about their faith and they go off on this retreat, I've been there. I've seen it happen. Something moves in them. This is a big mountaintop experience where they go up and meet God. Many of the, the volunteers and the mentors and the staff that go on these retreats, this is a mountaintop moment for them as well. They go up to the mountain and they meet God and something big happens. And there is so much hope and there is so much faith that is burning inside of us. I love these moments. But for every mountain, there's a valley. For every mountain that we encounter, every literal mountain, if you actually go to a mountain, there's going to be valleys. Every mountain has a valley. And every Easter Sunday has a Monday. And we all know Mondays. And what I mean by that is, is in our life, in our journey of faith, 
we have these monumental moments where something happens in us, something big, something that we have a hard time explaining, but we know it's significant. It happens in us. But we also feel these moments that seem to contradict that moment where we might feel distant from God. And we might begin to doubt that thing that happened in us. I know if you were at uh, any of the services that Pastor David preached on Easter, uh, as he ended his service and he prayed, he asked for those that were accepting Jesus Christ for, as their Lord and Savior for the very first time to raise their hand. And there were many people that did. Some of you may be in this room right now. And you accepted Christ for the first time because something moved in you. Others of you raised your hand when he asked if, if you're ready to recommit your life. Like maybe you've been a Christian, maybe you've followed Jesus before, but you haven't been following that closely uh, as of lately, and you were ready to recommit because something was moving in you. And then others of us, when he asked us all to raise our hand, if we were thankful for Easter and the hope that comes because Jesus is alive, and I saw every hand go up in the air because something was moving in us. Something was moving Something big and exciting. And for many of you, you might still be on that mountaintop. Others were beginning more and more removed from that. And were wondering if that thing was real. And it might not be this week. It might not be directly after this Easter. And it may be more figuratively. But you know this on your journey of faith that we have these seasons. Because here's the truth. This is the truth of our faith journey. Is that there are times where you will feel very close to Jesus. And times when you won't. That's a reality. If you've been feeling that, it's not just you. That's everybody. That's me included. There are times in our journey of faith where you'll feel very close to Christ and then times when you won't. It is very possible. In fact, it's probable for you to have an encounter with Jesus, to experience his presence in a very real way, to be, to be moved and inspired and changed to feel so close to God and so close to Jesus, but then also to shortly after feel distant. For it to feel as if Jesus is absent somehow, like somehow Jesus was with me and, and now he's not. To, to, to begin to question, like, was that thing really real that I experienced? Or was that just some emotions that were stirred up in me? And I was moved emotionally, but it, there was nothing actually spiritual, nothing of depth, nothing of substance that went on in my life. Was it real? Is what I experienced real? It's also very possible to know Jesus, to have known Jesus your entire life, to have been raised in the church, to go to Sunday school, uh, to, to go to Bible studies, to be in your small group, to go to church, and to know a lot about Jesus, to know how to find things in the Bible, and to know a lot about the, the life uh, of G and ministry of Jesus, yet not really understand what it feels like to have Jesus near you. You hear people talk about it. You hear people talk about the nearness of God and feeling God and feeling Christ within them. And you're like, I've never felt that. I don't know what that feels like. It's very possible to have that knowledge and for Jesus to be very near you and not recognize it. This is the reality of our faith. Or maybe to have an expectation. You have this life-changing moment. And you have an expectation of what that looks like now that my life is transformed, right? Now that I know about this hope. Now that I am going to follow Jesus. And I have this expectation of what life is going to look like from now on. I have this expectation of how Jesus is going to work in my life. And then to be disappointed when Jesus doesn't do what we expect. To be disappointed because we had this expectation of the way Jesus works. And, and we said yes with that expectation in mind. And when it doesn't go the way we expect which is kind of Jesus' M.O. When it doesn't go the way we expect, we get disappointed. And we begin to walk away. 
We get disappointed that not everybody heard that message of Easter and hope and began to live it out. We get disappointed when we wake up on Monday and we get in our cars and we drive off to work and there's these same jerks on the highway cutting me off. Didn't you hear about Jesus rising from the dead? We're supposed to be nice to each other now. Now you got me yelling and I'm losing my religion. Easter, y'all. You have the same boss, you have the same employee, the same person that's just in your life. And you're like, didn't you find Jesus this weekend too? I found him. Everything is supposed to be different now. You wake up and your kid still doesn't know how to dress themselves. And you're like, child, Jesus rose. You rise. Get up. Come on. It's time to learn how to eat without getting it all over the clothes I just washed and picked out for you. We got to go. Find Jesus, child. In all seriousness, we walk out into this world and we realize not everybody heard that Easter message. Not everybody believes that. Not everybody's life was transformed and we're confronted with that. And that can be hard sometimes. when We hit these, these moments in life that challenge us and we thought, man, this, things were supposed to be better. Things were supposed to be different with Jesus. It doesn't go the way we expect and so we don't know what to do. And often we just walk away because we don't know how to handle that. Here's the other thing I know about our faith. There are times when we feel close to Jesus and times when we won't. The other thing I know is this, that even when we don't feel Jesus, Jesus is near. Even when you don't feel it, even when you've forgotten about it, even when you doubt it, when you pretend that it didn't exist or that it wasn't real, Jesus is still there. Can't do anything about that. Jesus is there. If you came and heard Pastor David's sermon over Easter, you, you follow the story, and he talked a little bit about this, this idea of Easter beginning in the darkness. And, and it, we follow the story of Mary Magdalene as she went to this empty tomb. And she saw that it was empty, but she didn't experience resurrection quite yet. She wasn't quite sure what that empty tomb meant. She was confused by it. And much like our journey, sometimes we feel absence or, or we feel distance from God. Uh, we, f- we feel like our lives and our faith might be in this dark, dry moment. And yet, hope is still alive. I want to do the same thing, uh, except for I want to follow a different story. It happens at the exact same time, uh, but it's uh, two different people that we want to follow and their experience of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're going to find here in Luke 24. Now, Luke's gospel, every gospel writer talks about the resurrection and talks about this experience of the disciples after resurrection. But each of them talk about it in a slightly different way. They include different stories and they include different things because they all saw it differently. Here's what I love about the diversity of our Bible that we read. You have each of these people and they're not all just reciting the exact same thing. These are very real people that witnessed very real things, and they experienced different things. The grand story is the same, but their perception and their experience of it was different. And so we get to read all these accounts. These are diverse perspectives of how people experienced resurrection. So if you look in 24, uh, before we get to our piece, just a quick bit, bit of context that you're very familiar with, especially if you came to Easter Sunday and heard Pastor David preach, you have the tomb, right? And you have the women, uh, many of whom following Jesus for their life, uh, and, and they decided to go to the tomb to, to continue to care for the body, right? It, it's, it's decaying in there, and they need to add more spices and, and help with the decay, and they're caring for the body. So that's what they're going to do. So right away, we know that there are these disciples over in this house, the women with them, and they're going to continue on with life as usual, what you would do when hope is dead, when your Savior, when Jesus is dead. You know how I know that? Because if they actually believed resurrection was going to happen, if put yourself in those shoes, right? If you were one of the disciples and you believed Jesus when he said, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm coming back. You know, if you believed that, would you just be hiding in a house on that third day? 
Or would you have snuck out that night and been hiding in the bushes right outside the tomb? <laughs> like waiting for the stone to like explode and lights and like angels and Jesus come floating out like I'm back guys. Like, is the, like if I was a disciple and I truly believed Jesus, I would not be moping in a house. I don't care how many guards they put at the tomb. I'd be hiding and waiting. I want to see this happen because I believe it. Yet they don't. They're going on with life as usual, right? And they go to do that. They find the tomb empty, and they're surprised, and they're, they're disheartened, and it's empty. And they turn around. There's these two angels and say, what are you doing here? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Jesus is risen. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And so they take off running. They go back to the home. They're talking to all the disciples. And they're like, guys, you'll never believe it. The tomb is empty. Jesus was right. These angels were there. They told me he's alive. We didn't see him there. You would think he would have notified us. He would have got up. We the first people he would have told. But he's not here. I don't know where he is. He might be lost. But the angels told us that he's alive. Let's celebrate. And all the disciples are like, Pfft. If you read it, literally, it, they say that they felt like the women were full of nonsense. Except for Peter who might have thought that, but he jumped up and ran toward the tomb. He had to see for himself. And so he goes to see. And this is where we find ourselves now. So instead of following Mary Magdalene and the women like we did last week, we're going to follow this other story that, that we find here in Luke, beginning in verse 13, of these two travelers leaving Jerusalem and heading toward Emmaus. So here we go in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, where they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Pause. We have two people that are leaving Jerusalem, the epicenter of what happened, right? They're walking away. We remember before Jesus is crucified, they're heading into Jerusalem for the first time, and it's a parade. It's a party. It's, there is just such excitement because the Savior is coming to redeem Israel, to kick Rome out and to save them. This guy that they believe to be the next Moses, right? Moses who liberated the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. This new guy is going to come and kick Rome out now, and we're going to be free again. They were riding into Jerusalem with much joy and expectation, and now here are these two walking away, downcast, because what they expected to happen didn't happen. So they're walking away. The other thing to, to notice is that this says the same day, right? So that what we just read in the first part of 24, this is the same day. And then two of them, right? Them, meaning the people that have been participating in the first part of this chapter. Here's two of those people. We're going to find out one of their names in a minute, Cleopas. And I know you know if you spent any time in church in Sunday school or whatever, and you're like, Cleopas, that doesn't sound like one of the 12 disciples that I ever heard about, right? If you read through Luke, you realize there are the 12 disciples that everybody knows and loves, right, that you see in all the pictures. And then uh, there are also people that continue to join them, right, as, as they go through and they're preaching and doing ministry. More and more people follow them. And, and it's assumed that Cleopas and his companion are like those people that kind of got caught up. And so they've been around for a lot of this stuff, and they're here. But now they're leaving Jerusalem talking about everything everything that happened. Verse 15, as they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing them. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still and their faces were downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, can you imagine, like, this was your whole life, your hope. And you were there, and it was a big deal. And this person coming from the same place you are has no idea what's going on. Like, how could you miss this, sir? 
Did you not see the parade of people waving palm branches and yelling Hosanna to this guy that was coming to this guy, Jesus, that you've probably heard about that's been doing these miracles and doing these great things, supposed to be our Messiah and our Savior? How did you not see that? How did you not, were you not there? And were you not there that those same people gathered that were shouting Hosanna are now shouting crucify him? It was a big deal. And how did you miss it? How did you miss it when, when he was finally crucified? And in that moment when he breathed his last and the earth groaned and there was lightning and there was thunder and the earth shook and the, and the temple curtain tore in two, how did you miss that? Have you been living under a rock for these past few days? And the stranger was probably like, well, I mean, sort of. <laughs> But how defeating would that be that something was so significant to you and then it just crushed you and this person had no idea and they walk up behind him. So they begin to tell him, it's about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He's a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests, the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hope. We had expectation for what Jesus was going to do. The funny thing is, is Jesus did redeem Israel. Just not in the way they expected it to happen. They missed it. They didn't see it. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And what's more is that the third day has come. And it's gone since this all has taken place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. But they didn't see Jesus. These two, they knew Jesus, they knew the story, they'd heard his teachings, they'd seen his miracles, they'd been there. They, they knew the whole story. They had expectations of who Jesus was going to be. But they had one way that they thought it was going to happen. Very real expectation. And when it didn't happen that way, when Jesus was gone, they felt this distance and this absence. And they didn't know what to do, and so they were just kind of going back. Who knows if that's where they were from, but they were leaving, walking away. Jesus says to them in verse 25, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to go and suffer these things, then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village where they were going, actually, let me pause there. Jesus <clears throat> says to them, you got the story right. You know everything you need to know. Yeah, you seem to know this Jesus guy pretty well, even though I'm right here. But you seem to know this guy pretty well. You know the story, but you're missing the point. And what Jesus does from that point is continue to walk with them. They have no idea who this person is, but Jesus is there close to them, walking with them, reading Scripture to them, opening up the Scriptures to them so they can see in new ways, pointing out things in the Scriptures that start to burn in their hearts as we're going to read in just a minute. They begin to become enlightened to the things that they had missed all along. They knew a lot about it, but they had missed some things along the way, and they began to understand again, yet they still didn't recognize him. At this point, they still have no idea who this is. This person is still just a stranger to them. But this is where I think the story takes a turn, and a turn for the better. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. I used to read this and I used to think, that was really rude of Jesus. You know, like, I mean, sure, it's, it's not his obligation to, like, make sure these people believe. But, like, 
did he just give up on him? He shared this stuff with him, and they still didn't recognize him, so he was just going to bounce and go find some other people to talk to and see if they recognized him? I always thought this was really rude, right? But, like, here's what I understand. If I'm at the store or if I'm out, like, walking or jogging in the trails, many of these beautiful trails we have right here around Mansfield, and I come across somebody and I just say hi to, or compliment them on their shirt or something like that, and, and there are these times, and you probably have had these experiences too, where you do that and, like, you're waiting in line at Target at the grocery store and you strike up a conversation with the person standing next to you, and it becomes this very surprising encounter, Right? Sometimes it's just hi and whatever, bye. But sometimes you really connect with somebody. And it's a total stranger. You have no idea who they are. And you connect with them. Maybe it's at the park when you're watching your kids play there and you're connecting with one of the other parents there. And you make this connection that you did not expect. And it becomes this wonderful experience and something that you know. Like when you leave, like this was a good experience. And I can't wait to tell somebody, like, this is crazy. I met this person and we talked about this and we just connected on a very real, this is crazy. I have no idea what their name is. But, you know, this was great. What a wonderful experience. But that wonderful, serendipitous experience becomes really weird when they decide to just follow you home and invite themselves in to stay with you, right? <laughs> like, then it comes creepy, right? Like, and, and I understand that even, as much as that is true for us here, like, that's super true back in the day, right? Culturally, like, for Jesus, the stranger who these two don't know to just impose himself, to invite himself in to stay, would have been super rude, that's not the way things work. So as they venture in, they make it to where they're going, and they've been talking this whole time. Jesus didn't stand there and go, well, <laughs> like, you know, waiting to be invited in. He just was like, okay, well, I guess they're not going to invite me in. I'm going to keep going. And that's what you would do. You would keep moving because it's, it's up to the people whose home it is to invite the stranger in. But it's getting late, and Jesus has to keep traveling and who knows how far away the next town is, and it's dangerous to travel at night. There's robbers, there's animals, like who knows what could happen. And I feel like something was happening in them as, as they were remembering Jesus and reflecting back on the life as they told the story. And they're hearing from the scriptures, they're hearing about the grace and love of God. I can imagine that something came across their mind that they probably heard Jesus say, something along the lines of whatever you do and to the least of these you've done unto me or something like that, right? Like it's coming into their head and they're like, you know, things didn't turn out the way we thought. And maybe there's another Messiah someday. But I do remember this teaching of Jesus and I do remember how important that is. And we believe that. We understand that. And so as the scriptures were coming alive for them, as they were enlightened by scripture and as they were feeling their hearts warmed, they enacted that. They enacted that in an act of service and hospitality by inviting this person in. They have no obligation to this person. They don't know this stranger. And yet, they understand that Jesus taught them to live sacrificially, to reach out to those who need your help. And they don't want this person traveling alone at night. And so they looked at each other and probably said, you know, I'm going to invite him in. All right? You get to sleep on the floor. He's going to sleep in your bed. But, you know, we should invite him in, okay? And they do, they urge him to come in. And when he comes in, he sits at the table with them. He took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem 
And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two, Cleopas and his friend, told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them by them when he broke the bread. Jesus sat at the table, broke bread, and they recognized him. Do this in remembrance of me, right, is what we, what we say when we celebrate communion together. It's what we see in the scriptures when Jesus shared the last supper. There was something familiar about what was happening in this moment. And I don't think just in the breaking of the bread moment. There was something familiar about being exposed and opened up to the scriptures. There was something familiar about reaching out in service and in love to somebody else. And then sharing that meal together. This whole moment, there was something about it that was so familiar to these two. And when Jesus broke the bread, it came alive for them again. Their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus there. For us, the reader, we should notice this as well. There's something familiar about the actions of Jesus here with these two that we should notice. If you got your Bible with you, uh, flip back real quick to chapter 22. Uh, we'll look at chapter 22, verse 19. This is Jesus at the Last Supper. It says this, uh, verse 19, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them. Took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it. When we look over here in 24, what we just read, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it. The exact same words. We, the reader, have this uh, privilege of kind of being above, the right? We get to see all these events happening at one time, right? And so what we're meant to see is this connection between these two events, right? I know you already were starting to make that connection in your head, but we can see it actually where Luke does it with his language, where Jesus is the exact same action. Let's do it again. Let's go back into chapter 9 of Luke. So flip back again. I know, you're getting a lot of use out of this Bible right now. Uh, chapter 9, verse 16. This is when Jesus is feeding the 5,000. We find here in 16, taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, gave thanks, broke them, and gave it to his disciples to distribute. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it. Again, the exact same language in the exact same order happening in a totally different scenario. And I think what Luke, when he's writing this, is trying to do is really point, when you're reading this, when you're hearing Scripture read to you, throughout the ages, as people are seeking to understand this life that Jesus lived and what it means for us, I want to point you back to this moment when people recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. It had nothing to do with the bread itself, right? Like, there's nothing magical about that. This wasn't some magic trick that Jesus pulled. When he pulled the bread apart, some smoke, poof, and then there was Jesus, and like, ta-da, here I am, you know? Like, that's not what the point was. The point is not necessarily in the bread, but it's in remembering Jesus and the acts that took place across Jesus' life in every moment where bread was taken and it was blessed and it was broken and it was handed out. We have this moment, this, this, this image, right, uh, that we're taken back to in chapter 22 where Jesus is sharing a final meal with his disciples. And he's sharing with them words about what it means to live sacrificially. We've lived this life. You've seen these things. But this is what it means to live sacrificially. This is what it means to follow me. And he used a meal that they had shared many times before to illustrate that. It was a metaphor for them. When he breaks the bread, this is your body. It just says it's my body. This is going to be your body that will be broken for others. You need to pour your blood out just as I'm going to pour my blood out, right? This is the life that we're going to live. He shared those words, but not only did he share those words, we're recounting back to this moment where he's feeding the 5,000. 
He's been traveling around and people have been gathering to hear him, to hear him speak. They've been looking for something to give them hope. And 5,000 people showed up. And really it was more than that because it was 5,000 men plus their, uh, plus their wives and children. So there was who knows how many people there. And Jesus fed them with, with spirit, right, and with truth. And he fed their souls and he nourished them with the truth of God. But he didn't just do that. He actually met the physical need of the people there. They were hungry. And, and what this tells us is, is that our faith, uh, our, when we read scripture, when we come to church and we, and, we, and we feel God, we know more about God, this isn't just a mental exercise that we do. This isn't just uh, academic. This isn't just something that we think about and it makes us feel good. But this is something that actually is lived out. Something that is actually lived out. And I think we see this perfectly in the story of Emmaus. Well, there's two people who are walking away from what they thought Jesus was about, right? Disappointed because it didn't turn out the way they thought. And yet they encounter the stranger and they're enlightened by Scripture. Something in them begins to burn. They felt their hearts warm. They weren't sure what it meant, but something was stirring within them. And then when they enacted that faith, when they reached out in love and service to another, to a complete stranger that they had no obligation to, when they actually lived out their faith, they encountered this moment where Jesus was revealed to them and a complete stranger. This is what I think our, 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 our passage has for us today. This is, this is what Luke does. Like if you read Luke, like this is kind of what Luke does. He, he, he follows the life of Christ, but he really wants to highlight how Jesus actually lived out this faith that he preached, this truth that he preached. He reached out in service to all people. This is what Jesus was about. If we had time, which we don't, because I'm already over, uh, but we would look at Luke chapter 16, right? We're all in Luke here, and you can do this when you get home, but there's this story, there's this parable of this rich man and Lazarus, right, that he was walking out, and he would see this guy outside his gates that was hungry and begging, and he would never do anything about it, and then when he died, right, he's, he's down, and, he, and he's being tormented, and he's asking Abraham, and he's like, Abraham, what the heck? You know, what, what's happening? I thought I lived a good life. I thought I did the right things. I knew all the right stuff. And Abraham's like, you, you're like, you ignored the people right outside your gate that were hungry, that needed you. You ignored them. And he says, well, look, send me back. I'll do it right this time. He's like, I can't do that. He goes, well, just send me back and let me tell people about it. I want to warn people so that they don't make the same mistake I did. And Abraham said, well, what good is that going to do? They have Moses and they have the prophets. If they're not going to listen to them, Surely they're not going to listen to somebody who rises from the dead. And yet, in 24, as Jesus is walking, the stranger is walking with these two people, and he's sharing with them from Moses and the prophets as somebody who has risen from the dead. Something changed in these two companions traveling down the road. And they did reach out in service to a stranger. I think this passage, this road to Emmaus for us, we find those moments of dryness and separation, those moments of disappointment, those moments where we feel separated from God, distant from Jesus. We see that. We see the reality of our faith where there's times where we're close and then times where we're not. But we also see the reality that even when we don't feel Jesus, even when we don't recognize him, even when we feel distant and our hope is gone, Jesus is near. But the other thing we see is this, that we are invited in our communion together to remember Jesus. We're invited when we break bread together to remember the love and the grace that's shared with us. To remember that together. When we take bread and we bless it and we break it and we share it with one another, we see Christ again and we remember him. But it's not just in the bread 
and in the juice. Our communion is not just bread and juice. And it certainly isn't just within the walls of our church. That our communion is when we reach out in service to the world. When that body and that blood that was separated in Jesus' death is reconstituted in us again. And we, our hearts begin to warm into the knowledge and grace and assurance of God's love. But then when that's lived out in faith and in service to the world, Jesus becomes real to us again. Because here's, here's the third truth, that every act of love, every act of service, every act of hospitality is a moment that's filled with the potential to see Jesus. Even if you've forgotten what he looks like, every act of love is a moment that's filled with the potential to see Jesus again. So today, as we break bread together, as we share in communion here in the chapel and upstairs in the loft, my prayer is that we come to the table and we remember Jesus. We remember the love that God has for each and every one of us individually. But also remember that as as that grace and love has nourished our souls and our bodies, that we are called to go forth and share it with the world. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our worship together in all places. We thank you for the many reasons that we have to celebrate, God. But we also thank you that even in the midst of our doubt, even in the midst of our absence, our despair, our confusion, God, that you are close. We pray that every moment of our life we see as an opportunity to live out your love and grace, even when we don't feel you, God. That we may be a part of those opportunities, God, those, that potential to see you again. May our eyes be open to the stranger next to us, that they might possibly be you. In your name we pray. Amen.